0: Good morning. morning. And try that again. Good, is this thing working, Doug? Good morning. It's still not working. All right. Well, maybe there we go. All right. Now you can hear me a little better. Welcome. Uh, Glad to see you all on a kind of a dreary day, but we're thankful for the rain coming, and uh, hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. Good to see each and every one of you out this morning. Here at East L. J. Baptist, we are captivated by Christ. We have seen in the gospel and through the Lord Jesus the glory of God. In his grace and mercy given to us freely through the life, death, and resurrection of his son. And he has captivated us. We pray that today you would see his beauty. And that you would be captivated by him as well. I want to give a couple of quick thank yous. First of all, to our youth adult leadership team. Uh, Several of them have been... uh, Stepping up and helping out sub in our Wednesday night youth group and also our youth Sunday school. So thanks to you all. Also to our SEEDS children's workers. And both youth and uh, children resumes this week after the Thanksgiving break. So thank you all for how you serve uh, our children and our teenagers. We want to take just a few minutes to stand and greet one another. Find someone you don't know and introduce yourself to them. And then we'll come back together in just a few moments. certification on Saturday. Thank you.
1: <laughs>
0: yes, yes. So, well thank you. I appreciate that. And my name's Krista by the way.
1: Right, right. You're Christy. Christy. And actually we're cousins. Cousin. Yeah. <laughs> it's
0: it's the Waddell. The Waddell. We her grandmother was my dad's first cousin, so My aunt. I, I lost an aunt. My, um, my all right. My brother's wife. There's only, there were ten You can kids make your way back to your seats and remain standing. Yeah, of
1: all of them and the spouses, there's only three left. My mother and then I have an aunt and uncle.
0: So, yeah. We want to read from God's <laughs> Word this morning as you well, make your way back to your seats. Just remain standing there. Let's read together from Hebrews chapter 10. Verses 19 to 25, the the scripture will be on the screen there in front of you. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, drawing near we know that day is the day of our lord's return jesus is risen and jesus is returning soon and we look forward to his coming in the meantime we can live with this confidence in his presence we can boldly go into the presence of god through prayer and through the the righteousness of jesus through the broken body and shed blood of christ and we can hold fast that confession of our hope without wavering. Because the one who promised us all of these things in Christ is faithful. God cannot lie. And he will keep his word to us. And he will make good on every promise he's made to us in Jesus. So many that we know don't know and don't have that hope. Don't know that they and, and are not able, apart from Christ, to enter boldly into the presence of god and so we want to pray for our neighbors as well as the nations this morning for the marasi people in india a small people group there 2600 people uh, no known believers among them we want to pray for the gospel to to reach this people group and uh and so join me as we pray for your neighbors the nations and also for a number of uh sick uh, folks and grieving families today father how we praise you that because of Christ, because the new and living way opened up through his body, Lord, that we can come boldly into your presence. Father, thank you for giving your son to be the perfect and final sacrifice to once and for all atone for the sins of the world. We praise you and thank you that we can call you Father. We who were once in our sin, your enemies. God, what a salvation is ours in Christ. What grace, what mercy, what love. And Father, how we pray for our neighbors who need to know Jesus, that you would open their hearts to the gospel and make us faithful witnesses to them. God, we pray for the nations, the Marasi people of India, and ask that you get the gospel to them soon. This morning, Father, we join our hearts also to pray for the family of Betty Waddell, the family of Joe Collins, the family of Trenton Johnson, uh, God, the family of Tony Riles and uh, the family of Tommy Duckett. Continue to pray for Glenn C. and his family. And God, we ask for comfort in each and every one of these situations, God, that only you can give, thanking you that you are the God of all comfort. Lord, we pray for uh, Hayden Pritchett and Janie Kincaid. We lift up Addie Wellington and Trisha Patterson. We pray for Angie and Larry Callahan. Continue to pray for Mary Milton and Teddy Milton, for Tina Johnson and Billy Duncan, for George Wester and Wilburn DeFore and Denise Key, for Steve Eller and especially Father in these days Chris Hanley, and Carol Kemp. Father, I thank you that those many names you see and know, each one individually and perfectly and inside and out, you are there with them. And God, we come to you to pray because you are the great physician as well. You're the one who holds all things together. You're the one who gives us our next breath. God, you're the creator and sustainer. And we pray that you would be the healer in many of these situations, God, that you would act for your glory's sake and bring healing. And Father, in the meantime, in, in situations where you don't choose to do that, Father, sustain and uphold, give strength and perseverance, um, and Lord, for those who care for them, caregivers in all these different situations, Father, family members, we pray for your strength and comfort as well. Lord, how we praise you for the privilege of worship today, for the freedom to gather together as uh, forever family in Christ, and to worship our God, to praise the name of Jesus loudly with our whole hearts, and so God, even now, still our hearts from all that concerns us, all that has been going on, all that's coming up, and cause us to be still and know that you are God. Cause us to enjoy the presence of our Savior as we sing. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Remain standing as we worship in song
2: we are glad you joined us this morning we're going to start off with uh jesus what a friend for sinners of which we all have been and are but we've been redeemed as she leads us in King of Kings. Does the Father truly love us? He
1: does.
2: does. the Spirit move among us? He does. does. Jesus, our Messiah, hold forever those He loves? He does. Does God intend to dwell in Is God to reign with the sun? Is he worthy? Is he? Worthy?
0: even now as we are gathered here all of heaven bows before you the seraphim cry out holy 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 right now in this moment the elders fall at your feet and cast their thrones down and worship you and sing The song of the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to take the scroll and to open it. How we praise you, Father, that when there was no way, you made a way. You sent your Son to be and do for us all that we could never be or do. And by his death to undo all that we had in sin and rebellion done. That we might be forgiven and declared righteous in your sight. That enemies might become sons and daughters of the living God. That we who had no hope. Could have living and eternal hope. All through the gospel that is today running the world over and changing lives. We praise you, God, for the power of the gospel, for the power of the cross, for the power of the resurrection, for the power of Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that now by your Spirit and through your word you would come, continue to meet with us and speak to our hearts, teach us, change us, challenge us, equip us, rebuke us, train us, that we might be fit vessels of honor for your glory. the one who alone is worthy. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we'll be dismissed to Children's Church. And as they're making their way out, turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. We will pick it up in just a few moments in uh, verse 26. But as you're turning to Hebrews, listen to Jesus' words in John six fifty five. he said one time, For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. If you continue down in the chapter there, uh, many of those who heard Jesus say those words said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And Jesus said, Do you, are you offended at this? Do you take offense to this? And then in John 6 verse 66, it says, after this, after this whole discussion about eating Jesus' flesh and, and drinking his blood, it says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you Is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, John tells us, was going to betray him. You see, people walk away from Jesus, happens every day. Even people who've been around Jesus and around his people for a long time, can walk away. Judas saw everything that Peter saw. He heard the same preaching that Peter heard, but Judas walked away. Now, Peter was right. There is no other savior to go to. There's no other rock of refuge to run to. And when someone walks away from Jesus, their end is eternal destruction, even as Judas's was. There is no one else that has the words of life, and yet people walk away from Jesus. Tim Keller says of Jesus Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is imputed. To us, Jesus is the true and better Abel who, though innocently slain, has blood now that cries out, not for our condemnation, but for acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void, not knowing whither he went to create a new people of God. Jesus is the true and better Isaac who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us. And when God said to Abraham, now I know you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love for me, now we can look at God taking his son up the mountain and sacrificing him and say, now we know that you love us because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love for us. Jesus is the true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve, so we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace to wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph who, at the right hand of the king, forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the Lord and his people and who mediates a new covenant, even as we've been learning in Hebrews. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses, who, struck with the rod of God's justice, now gives us water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer, who then intercedes for and saves his stupid friends. Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves." Jesus is the true and better Esther, who didn't just risk leaving an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate and heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. Jesus is the real rock of Moses... The real Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain. So the angel of death will pass over us. He's the true temple, think Hebrews now. The true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. There is no one who has the words of life except Jesus. Our study of the book of Hebrews has shown us who Jesus is. Jesus alone is the Savior of the world. He's the only Lamb of God who could and did take away the sins of the world. We've been studying the book of Hebrews under the title, Don't Forget Who Jesus Is, because who Jesus is changes everything about our lives. This morning we come to a strong warning and an equally strong encouragement to persevere in our faith in Jesus no matter what. In other words, to not walk away from Jesus. It happens every day. Judas walked away. And so we need to look and and see from Scripture this morning the, the necessity... Of enduring faith in Christ. Hear me. If you would see God one day. Enduring faith in Jesus Christ. Is not optional. It's not just a great idea. The necessity of enduring faith in Christ. Hebrews 10 verse 26 For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy. On the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said... Vengeance is mine. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. What a strong warning. But then he flips and gives a strong encouragement. Listen to verses 32 and following. But recall the former days. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one, therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while. According Isaiah 26 here. And the coming one will come and will not delay. And then Habakkuk 2. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. But of those who have faith and preserve their souls. The necessity of enduring faith in Christ. A strong warning. About that enduring faith and the necessity of it. A a strong encouragement to have enduring faith. The truth I want you to take home from this passage is this. Faith in Jesus alone that endures to the end is the faith that saves. That's simple, isn't it? But that's tough. Faith in Jesus alone that endures to the end is the faith that saves. Consider with me, first of all, the strong encouragement. It's twofold here. And so, first of all, notice, number one, rejecting God's grace in Jesus and depending on our works brings, first of all, certain and consuming judgment, the certain and consuming judgment of God. Listen to these words again in verses 26 and 27. And let them sober you today. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But only a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversary. Can I just translate that for you? That's hellfire and brimstone. That is the everlasting punishment and wrath of God being poured out on those who reject Christ. And if we reject God's grace in Jesus and depend on our own works, it will bring certain and consuming judgment from God. The truth in view here. Verse 26 says, If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth. The truth in view here is the gospel of grace in Jesus. That's what this whole book of Hebrews has been talking about. Even even this chapter. It's been described all through the letter. But it's the gospel of of verses 19 through 22 of, of Hebrews 10. Listen to it again. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence... To enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. This is the truth that he's talking about. This is the, this is, they had knowledge of this truth. They had learned this gospel. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way opened, that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving a knowledge of that truth, what's he, what does that mean here? Well, to go on sinning deliberately in this context, means to keep trying to earn and attain for ourselves and by our works the forgiveness of our sins and righteousness before His holiness. It means that we don't boldly come with confidence into the holy places, into the presence of God, fully confident in the blood of Jesus and, 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 and going through the veil He opened up, that is, His broken body. Continuing, continuing, going on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, it means not to do that. It means to forget that we have a great high priest over the house of God. It means we don't draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith that we stay distant from God and do you know that when you're not prayerful like that, when you're, not, when you're not boldly going into the presence of God, when you don't come to Him in prayer with full assurance of faith that Jesus paid it all, do you know what's happening in your heart? You're withdrawing from Jesus and you're depending on you. When I don't pray, when I don't run to God with my troubles, when I don't go to see Him for help, you know what that means? I'm depending on me for help. And here's the deal, I start getting real timid, don't I? Fear creeps in. Why? Because I know me, and I know my weakness. I know my sin, and suddenly I feel like I can't talk to God because I'm just focused on me. To go on sinning deliberately means to keep trying to earn and attain for ourselves and by our works the forgiveness of our sins and righteousness before His holiness. And to live this way, listen to me, it's to walk away from the only atoning sacrifice for sins in Jesus. There is no other saving sacrifice for sins. We can never atone for our own sins. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice For sins, in our sin, apart from Jesus the Savior, we will only receive the certain and consuming judgment of God. He's given us full and free salvation in Jesus. But if we refuse Jesus, God's fearful judgment and fury of consuming fire is our destiny. Jesus has come to us. God has, has has looked on a world of sinners. John 3.16. And it says God so loved this world of sinners, me and you, that were his enemies. We were rebels against his holiness. He looked at us and he so loved us that he gave his son, sent his son to come live a perfect life in our place. To go to the cross and die the death we deserved on the cross. To be buried three days later. To rise from the dead in victory over death and sin and hell. That today by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the gospel preached. He might save men, women, boys and girls. From every people, every nation, every tongue, every tribe. And make enemies into children of the living God. That's what he's done. And so if we walk away from Jesus. We're walking away from all God can do to save us. There's not a plan B. There's not another way of salvation. You're not going to go out and find somebody better than Jesus. Is that not the whole point of Hebrews? This book began when when it said... In, 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 in the past, God spoke to, to, into, into this world, spoke to his people in, in, in various ways and at various times. But in these last days, he's spoken through his son. And, and, and folks, he's spoken his last word. It's the word to which every other word he's ever spoken led and pointed. It is the word. He is the living word. And in his life, death and resurrection is life eternal. There's nothing else that God can say. And so if we walk away from Jesus, there's no more sacrifice for sins. Rejecting God's grace in Jesus and depending on our works brings the certain and consuming judgment of God. It's made a little bit more clear as the text goes on in verses 28 to 31. The second part of this strong warning is found there, and it's this. Rejecting God's grace in Jesus and depending on our own works, listen to me, it blasphemes Jesus, outrages the Holy Spirit, and brings the living God's vengeance upon us. There are no stronger words and warnings in Scripture. Verse 28. He's looking back on the Old Covenant. And he says, anyone who set aside the law of Moses, that is, ignored it, didn't obey it, dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. In the Old Covenant, you ignored God's law. What did God do? God just killed you, took you out. Over and over and over we see it. So many times we think, man, the God of the Old Testament. I'm glad God's not like he was in the Old Testament. The God of the Old Testament, man, he was rough. Really? Listen to what he says next. That's how it was in the Old Covenant. You ignore God's law, the law of Moses, on, 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 the witness, on, on the basis of two or three witnesses, you would die. God commanded his people to stone people like that. Verse 29. How much worse punishment So the author of Hebrews has to say it is a fearful thing. Some of your translations may say terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So the logic of 28 to 31 goes like this. If if rejecting God's law brought certain death, then rejecting God's grace the life, death, and resurrection of his own son, brings an even worse judgment. And again, any sort of self-righteousness, any sort of dependence on religious works, anything that belittles and calls the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus unnecessary is an out-and-out rejection of Jesus himself. When I depend on me, when we depend on our works, when we depend on our religion, we are trampling underfoot the Son of God. We are profaning the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. And we are outraging the Spirit of grace. You might imagine that God doesn't just let that sort of treatment of Jesus and the Spirit go unanswered. He responds, the text says, with vengeance. And if we even come close to understanding what these words are saying, then we should tremble. We should tremble to know that there's a danger we could find ourselves in the righteous and powerful and wrath-filled hands of God. You see, the gospel is, as captured in the words of John Piper, the love of God provides escape from the wrath of God by sacrificing the Son of God to vindicate the glory of God in forgiving Sinners. That is the gospel. And if you reject the gospel, the good news that God loved us enough to give His Son to die and bear His wrath, if you reject the only one who could truly bear His wrath in my place, in your place, then here's the deal. All that's left is you and the wrath of the Holy One. If you reject the mediator that God himself has put there for us to cling to the love of God provides escape from the wrath of God by sacrificing the son of God to vindicate the glory of God in forgiving sinners there's many people today that want to do away with the wrath of God there is a form of the gospel that as Paul would say is really no gospel at all that says God is not full of wrath toward sin. But if there was no wrath of God toward the sin of humanity, then there is no reason Jesus had to die. His death was meaningless, except that he stood in our place and bore the justice of God for us. And to spurn his love and effectively say, this is what happens when we, when we begin to move away from Jesus. When we begin to boast in, in, in what we're doing for the Lord, that's kind of how we talk about it in, in our hearts and in church, right? Are y'all tracking? I mean, this needs to be practical. If, if, I mean, when you come across words this strong, you better figure out how it hits your life. Because it does. when we start to be proud of all we've been doing for the Lord, how we've been in church forever, how this, how whatever, all of our religion, all the stuff, when we start looking at other people out there in the world or that may wander into the church and, and, and start thinking to ourselves, oh, we never say it out loud. I know, I know how they've been living. And I know that. I know, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not doing that. And we begin subtly to pat ourselves on the back, don't we? We begin to seem to look a whole lot like Pharisees and boast in what we have done. Let me just tell you about the gospel. The gospel is all about him, not me. God's grace is all about what Jesus has done. The only only thing I am is recipient of the gift that he's given. To spurn his love and effectively say that we can save ourselves. We don't need Jesus. We never would say those words, but that's what our actions show. That's what our thoughts are saying. It, it leaves us under the just judgment of holy God. God can't save us if we won't cling to the Savior he's given us. Legalism and self-righteousness. Hear me, here's the point of the message. Legalism and self-righteousness are not to be taken lightly they're a big deal they are anti-gospel anti-grace they come from the pit of hell and dress like church folks hello can i tell you that legalism and self-righteousness they're far worse Than what we consider the big nasty sins. Y'all know the ones, right? Because at least we realize that those big nasty sins are big and nasty and sin. Legalism and self righteousness deceive us into thinking we're okay. We've got some righteousness. That'll be enough. We're better than so and so. We've done X, Y, and Z. God has to like me today. Legalism and self-righteousness deceive us into thinking that that we aren't totally desperate and don't have to depend wholly, maybe a little bit, but not wholly on Jesus. Because we're really not that bad. I mean, just look at Him. Oh, now... We're going to mix a little Jesus in there, aren't we? I mean, Christians, so there's got to be some Christ in that. and We've got to mix a little Jesus in there with our works and ourselves, our self-righteousness. And when we do, you know what we do? We further deceive ourselves. We think because we've tacked Jesus' name on our works-based religion that we're living by, we've made it Okay? But the point of the passage is to say that such a way of thinking and living is a damning lie. And I mean it literally. I can't help but think about Galatians. You can flip there if you want to. Galatians 3, verses 1. I think it's going to be on the screen also. Mm-hmm. This was happening in Galatia too. A <coughs> little different situation. <coughs> In Hebrews, you've got Jewish believers who are being tempted to go back to the ways of Judaism. They're being, they're being tempted at this point before A.D. 70, the temple still stood. Animal sacrifices were still going on. All the things of the, of the old covenant that God had commanded were still happening. The author of Hebrews says, when Jesus came, the old went out, the new came in. The sacrifices had never fully atoned, really atoned for sin. Jesus came as the fulfillment of all that the temple pointed to. <clears throat> and so he's writing to, the author of Hebrews writes to Jewish believers, and he said, Don't go back to Judaism. It'll feel good, it'll be comfortable, it'll be familiar. But it's obsolete, and it's passing away. And if you go back to animal sacrifices, then you say of Jesus' sacrifice, it was pointless and useless, and you stomp on his blood, and you outrage his spirit. Because the deal is, Jesus didn't die for nothing. He didn't die for kicks. He didn't die because it wasn't needed. He died because he's the only Lamb of God who can take away the sins of the world. Back in Galatia, Gentile church with the Jewish influence, and the influence there was you got to become a Jew to be a real Christian. you got to mix Jesus with the law. And so here's the deal. It's fine if you want to believe in Jesus, but you got to get circumcised. Paul said, hogwash. And not just hogwash, that's hogwash that will send you to hell. Listen to what he said. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? How did you get saved? How did God come to dwell in you? Did you do a bunch of works according to the law or did you trust Jesus by faith? Are you so foolish Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Skipping over to chapter 5, verses 2 and following. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, if you say, if you believe what they're telling you, those false teachers that are saying faith in Jesus is fine, but if you're not circumcised, there's no way you'll be a true, true child of God, a real part of the family of God. Paul said, I say to you that if you accept circumcision... Christ will be of no advantage for you. It won't just take away 70, 50%, 70% of Jesus' effectiveness on the cross. It will take it all away from you. It will be of no advantage to you. Because you will have moved... From depending on Jesus to depending on yourself. I testify again, he repeats himself, to every man who accepts circumcision, listen, that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You want to play by the law? Then you get to keep it perfectly. The problem is you've already broken it. It's already condemned you. You can't undo what you've already done, even if you could perfectly obey it, which you can't. Verse 4, what does all this mean? You are severed from Christ. You who are to be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit by faith we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. Whether you keep the law or you don't. It doesn't matter. All that matters is faith working through love. Faith in Jesus Christ. He is our only righteousness. He is our only redemption. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Paul knew as he wrote to the Galatians how good works sounds. How good it feels. Here's the deal. I like to brag about good things I do. You want to boast of something of your own before God. The problem for me and you is there ain't none. None. There's none righteous. No, not one. We are dead in sin. This is the offense of the gospel. Because if anybody ever comes to Christ, you know where they got to start? they got to hear the offensive message that you are a sinner who can do nothing to save yourself. You are helpless apart from Jesus Christ. And if you don't start there, you'll never come to him. And yet even as believers, oftentimes we begin to go back to the mentality that says we can somehow contribute to our relationship with God. This persuasion is not from Him who calls you. Sometimes it feels like it, doesn't it? It feels real spiritual to make that list and compare yourself. It it feels real spiritual to make that list that you, by the way, subconsciously know you can keep. And when you get through checking off all the things you know you can do, you feel spiritual. Y'all all all right? (laughs) What was on your list this week, huh? (laughs) We do this. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little works added to grace. Listen to what I'm saying to you. Undoes the grace. God's a jealous God, and here's here's the way God works. Either God's going to save you, or he's going to judge you. He's going to let you see that you can't save yourself, and he'll judge you. He's not not going into partnership with you. One of the biggest lies of uh, cultural philosophy, there's a lot of those, but God helps those who help themselves. No, He doesn't. He helps those who can't help themselves. And when you think you can help yourself, God says, then you don't need me. Because I will not share my glory. And in salvation, the only one that gets glory is who? God. Jesus, his son, the spirit of grace that draws us to him. Self-righteous works and faith in Jesus don't mix, listen to me, any more than oil mixes with water. No one, Galatians says in another place, will be justified by the works of the law, but only condemned by our failure to perfectly keep that law. A couple math equations you can see on the screen. Jesus plus nothing, that equals everything from God. That equals salvation from God. Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus anything equals nothing from God but his judgment. You try to say, Jesus, I need a little help. Maybe today I need a lot of help. No, I need all. You got to do it all. I can't do anything. Rejecting God's grace in Jesus and depending on our works blasphemes Jesus. It outrages, do you hear those words, the Holy Spirit, and it brings the living God's vengeance upon us. That's how serious legalism is. That's how serious self-righteousness is. And and hear me. And when it parades and and masquerades as, as following Jesus, We need to call it out quickly. We need to run it off quickly. Paul's strongest words, Jesus' strongest words, were for the self-righteous legalist. Well, there's a strong warning. Now for the strong encouragement. Much more quickly. True believers endure in faith and preserve their souls. We see it in verses 32 to 39. The author of this letter is confident. This is, this is, this is amazing. After such a strong warning. And by the way, I mean, I'm going to ask you, have you ever seen a stronger one? After such a strong warning, the author turns the corner and he says, but. All that's true? And if you walk away from Jesus, that's exactly where you'll end up. But. He is confident that the folks to whom he writes are not going to spit in Jesus' face. They're not going to go back to self-righteous religion that can only destroy and damn their souls. He has confidence that they will endure in faith and preserve their souls. He says in verse 32, but recall the former days. When? After you were enlightened. When you came to Jesus, when you heard the gospel and believed, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. They had suffered for Jesus. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. Just stop and think about that a minute. Maybe somebody here has. I don't know. Has anybody ever been exposed to public reproach and affliction for Jesus? Like where they got you out in front of the town and made fun of you because of your faith in Jesus, reproached you called you ugly names, afflicted you. These people had suffered that. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated, even, though, even if they hadn't, some of them hadn't been so treated, they stood with the ones that had. They were there by them. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Anybody ever lost material goods for the sake of Christ? These people had. These people Paul warned so strongly, they had. They'd already suffered for Jesus' sake. Their wholehearted trust in Jesus that caused them to reject the sacrifices of the temple, to declare that final and and only true sacrifice had been made by Jesus Christ on the cross. That eternal victory over sin had been given as a gift of grace through the resurrection of Jesus. They had had been rejected at the synagogue and by their own families, perhaps. It had cost them maybe their businesses or even the family inheritance And yet they had persevered in faith and declared to their community that salvation was to be found in Christ and Christ alone. And if you take everything I've got, Daddy, from me, if you never give me a dime of my inheritance, I'm going to look you in the eye as my dad, and I'm going to tell you the most loving thing I can say to you, Jesus and Jesus alone saves, and I have a possession that far, far exceeds your earthly inheritance. I have an inheritance in heaven. And I want you to be there with me, Daddy. But even if you're not, I cannot deny the one who died for me. This is what they had done. They confessed that they didn't need earthly riches because they were rich toward God through faith in Jesus. And so the author continues here. With this strong encouragement in verse 35. Therefore, you've already already suffered for Jesus. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence now. Which has a great reward for you have need of endurance. So that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. You have need of endurance. I have need of endurance. You have need of endurance. So that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For... Yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. Jesus is coming back. Wow. Is that all of you that believe that? Is that all of us that are excited about that? Jesus is coming back, and I don't know when, but it's closer now than it's ever been. Yet a little while, and the coming one will come. And will not delay, listen, but my righteous one shall live by faith. The ones who who comes to save, they'll still be living by faith on that day. They will have enduring faith up to the end. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. He'll be one to whom Jesus said, you said, Lord, Lord, but depart from me. I never knew you. You were in church for decades. Depart from me. I never knew you. But, here comes the encouragement again, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. What a strong encouragement, amen? True believers endure in faith and preserve their souls. After the Advent season, as we get into January, we'll come back to Hebrews and we'll pick up in chapter 11. And there in chapter 11, you're, most, many of you are familiar with that chapter. The author begins to describe a host of others who didn't shrink back to destruction but had faith and preserved their souls. Those are the people of True believers. This is who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. We have an enduring faith. We don't shrink back when when things get hard. So when it gets hard to follow Jesus, when you wonder if it's worth it, when it seems much easier to just do what so many do and just go through the motions of religion and church tradition so that certain folks respect you and think you're a great person and you feel good about yourself, instead of constantly declaring to your own heart and to those around you, only Jesus can save me, and that it's only Jesus' righteousness given to me that makes me accepted fully by God. When you get to that place, come back to the strong warnings and the strong encouragements given here. Remember who Jesus is. Recall this verse from the old hymn, Come ye sinners, Joe, poor and needy. I love this one verse. I love the whole song, but just this one verse. Lo, the incarnate God ascended, pleads the merit of His blood. That's, that's, That's a lot of Hebrews, isn't it? If you've been tracking along with us. Then it says this. The the, the charge in light of who Jesus is. He rose from the dead. He ascended to the Father's right hand. There he pleads the merits of his blood for my sin. What I need to do about that. Venture on him. Venture wholly. Let no other trust intrude. That's what the whole message has been about. Let no other trust intrude into your heart. That would take your trust away from Christ. That would move your faith in the least from him and him alone. That would cause you to start trusting yourself. Depending on the stuff you do or don't do. It's all about Jesus. The necessity of enduring faith in Christ. May we say with Paul... In the words of Galatians 6, Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation, God making me new in Christ. Faith in Jesus alone that endures to the end is the faith that saves. Let's pray together. God, we are sobered by your word. And we are encouraged by your word. Because you who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion to the day of Christ Jesus. And yet, God, may we always watch our lives and our hearts. May we examine ourselves to see whether we be in the faith that we might not walk away from Jesus into everlasting destruction having deceived ourselves that we ever... Or truly known by you. God, I pray for any in the room who need to make it certain today, who need to cling to Christ for forgiveness, redemption, and eternal life, I pray they would run to you today. God, for any of us who've as your people who begin to suddenly depend on our works, in and, and, and whatever deg- way, to whatever degree, God, I pray that right now we would, uh, we would come back to that place of, 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 of trusting Christ and Christ alone, resting in Christ and Christ alone. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to have endurance. It's a long road. Some of us in this room have gone through extremely difficult things this week. Some in this room today are going through extremely hard situations, trials, right now. It didn't turn off when they came through the doors. They're there right now. But God, give them endurance and trust in Christ. Holding fast to Jesus. Jesus. And Lord, we pray all this because you are worthy. You and you alone are worthy. So take our lives, we pray. For your name's sake, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. The altar is open for you to come and respond however you need to today. If you need to know Jesus, if you need a Savior, He is here and He, is, he, he, wants, to, he wants to embrace you. He wants to hold you in his arms of love and grace. Come, meet Jesus. Maybe you need to, as a child of God, this message has spoken to your heart. You're you're not where you need to be with your your Savior, your Lord. This altar is open for you to come and pray. Others will pray with you. Whatever you need as we sing. seated for just a moment uh, several announcements most of the